The detention hearing for the fake Department of Homeland Security agents got postponed, continued again, twice. Kind of surprising. We know that they were in court on Friday. The judge wanted to hear from both sides. The U.S. government prosecutor was saying that these two men were very dangerous. We're talking about Hader Ali. We see the photograph of him down here. We have Tazzy, where we have been calling him down here. They both now have public defenders, and they were saying they need to be released from custody. Government prosecutors saying that's not possible. We've got so much evidence every which way we turn. Things just continue to get worse, said the U.S. prosecutors. The judge wanted to wait and get more information. Over the weekend, we covered a supplemental motion that was filed by the government prosecutors saying, here's some more facts and why you should keep them in. And I just made videos today covering both defense motions from both of these two gentlemen. We've got Hader Ali and his defense attorney, Mr. Gregory Smith. And then we have the public defender, Miss Peterson, representing Tazzy. And they both made their arguments as to why these two should go. Their detention hearing was today. It's federal court. Couldn't hear any of the oral arguments or at least replay them here for you. But we do have an amazing reporter, somebody named Sarah N. Lynch. Shout out to Sarah Lynch doing an amazing job covering this. And so I retweeted her. I liked her post here. And I would encourage you to go follow her because she is uh, basically you know, one of the only people covering this uh, from anybody in the media, as far as I can tell, but she's doing an amazing job. So shout out to Sarah. Good afternoon. She writes the virtual detention hearing for the two men is now beginning. We're in front of judge Harvey. And I think this is him. I got a photo of him. I hope that it is not a lot of photographs of this fella. And so I believe that is him. Judge Harvey over out of DC. Now we're going to go through this. We have the next tweet from Sarah says, this is a continuance from last Friday. We're going to go through this and then I have an update. So I, I forgot to mention, as soon as we're done with this hearing, the government prosecutors responded to some of the criticisms here and Joshua Rothstein submitted a supplement to this court's order that happened today. So all of this is happening rapid fire. So this happened, then we have a motion. We'll take a look at that at the end of this video here. This is a continuance from last Friday. I already explained the judge is trying to do what they can to sort of piece and parse through this whole thing. Harvey asked the prosecutor for more info before he can make a decision at the hearing today. The two defense attorneys are going to be arguing for their clients and we covered their substantive written motions in separate videos just to keep this stuff nice and organized here. Sarah Lynch says, wow, out of the gate, Harvey takes the bench and says, not going to have a ruling today. What? If you're a defense attorney, you are angry as hell because your clients are presumed to be innocent and they have been held in custody much longer than they should have. So you come today with your arguments prepared and you want a verdict rendered. Judge says, not going to get one. You're saying this is ridiculous. Harvey says he's got lingering questions for the government. Okay, well, you know, if you're a defense attorney, well, ask them. They're here. Ask them their questions, which filed two supplemental briefs on Sunday. And we covered those. Those briefs gave seemingly conflicting info on whether Tazzy may have tried to hide evidence by mailing it into the unnamed witness. Harvey wants to continue this matter again to Tuesday. And he's asking for the arguments from the defense now. So he sort of it sounds like gave an order to the prosecution to clarify a bunch of stuff. We'll take a look at what that looks like. Now, this is more about Judge Michael G. Uh, G. Michael Harvey. He is somebody sworn in by Judge Richard Roberts, magistrate judge for the district court in D.C., presides over courtroom six of the E. Barrett Prettyman United States Courthouse. And so these are the parties. Of course, we know the defendants and their lawyers. And now we know a little bit more about the judge. Back to Sarah. 
She says that Michelle Peterson, who is representing Tazzy, public defender's office, says the government here has jumped to the wildest conspiracy theories. Peterson says, you know, there's an embarrassing correction that was made in a filing over the weekend by the government. It first accused Tazzy of hiding evidence by mailing it to the Secret Service. And Peterson said that he may just have been returning property. Oh, so he wasn't mailing anything nefariously. Oh, and we talked about that because we said that they got tipped off by the somebody and then started mailing stuff so that they weren't look like they were just carting out evidence, right? Because now they're under surveillance. But then the prosecutor says, oh, well, they may have just been, you know, mailing stuff back. It's sort of like eBay or something. They bought their eBay and it's regular delivery. So the defense is making sure that their nose is rubbed in that. Peterson says her clients have five and a half hours time voluntarily speaking with the investigators. So after they were arrested, you've got Tassie sitting there just yeah, singing the praises. Five and a half hours answered all of their questions to the best of his ability. The risk that he's going to obstruct justice, she says, is laughable. All right. He was there spilling his guts. I'm a defense attorney. I hate it when they do that, she says. I do too. Because it makes your case harder because they're talking all their, you know, they're telling them everything. So she's saying it's not going to be obstruction. She's saying he's having a field day having conversations with them. Judge says, all right, Miss Peterson, no, that's enough of that. Says, yeah, but your client is prohibited by federal law from having any guns in his possession due to his prior conviction for domestic violence. So how do you explain that, Miss Peterson? And says, why shouldn't that go into my analysis? Here's he's lawfully prohibited from having a firearm. He had one. That the offense was dangerous because he was prohibited from possessing any firearm. Now, the arguments that were made by Miss Peterson and Mr. Smith were both in the same vein, saying that just the simple impersonation of a federal agent by itself is not a violent, dangerous offense. You know, it's it's sort of saying, uh, I am from the city here and I should inspect your backyard for whatever reason, you know, and you can say that's that's maybe a trespass, but is it a violent, dangerous offense? Maybe you could make that argument. You see here, the judge is saying, I am making that argument. They had firearms. They were impersonating other people. I'm considering that to be dangerous. The defense attorney says, yeah, but our client was accused just of impersonating a police officer. Peterson also says that Tazzy was actually able to register his firearm in DC. So it's good evidence to him, as far as he knows, that he's not a prohibited possessor. He's not somebody who's not allowed to have a firearm. He went to register it. DC said, yeah, it looks good to us. And they let him in. So he thinks that he's perfectly law abiding. And this happens, you know, people make this argument when they are uh, driving on a suspended license. Sometimes, you know, I had no idea it was suspended. I got pulled over three times and the police just let me go. Nobody ever told me about this, right? It's that sort of, uh, if nobody informs me about it, how can I be in violation? She writes, that he is now not in possession. So Ms. Peterson, defense lawyer, was saying, look, in addition to that judge, he thought he wasn't even prohibited, but he also doesn't have firearms now. The law enforcement agencies seized all of them. So he doesn't have any of them. So how could he be dangerous with firearms that he doesn't have? Judge says, you know, your client was banned from concealed carry. So he knew that. He knew that because DC denied the permit. So don't play this game like he was just oblivious to it. He knew that he got denied. Why? Well, he could pres presume and surmise it was because of that DV offense. Yet he continued to do so. So the judge might be leaning towards detention. Peterson, the defense lawyer, says she doesn't think the evidence is very strong, in quotes. 
that he carried a concealed firearm outside of his apartment complex, saying, you know, those witnesses that the government is referencing, pretty weak evidence. You know, they're saying that maybe it's sort of, you know, saw him potentially kind of an argument. Same argument that Mr. Smith was making on behalf of Hader Ali. She notes the apartments in question were leased under his company, not under Homeland Security, not under LLC, which is something that suggests a government's name, right? It says it's an LLC. It's not like a, you know, a United States Treasury. It's a, it's a corporation. Everybody can see that. Says She says her, her client and the fact that her client did at one time have an active license and an active detective license explains why so many law enforcement related items were in his possession. Government is trying to make it worse than it is, she notes. He was legitimate at one point. He got those things when he was legitimate. He's not legitimate anymore. But it wasn't because he was out there sort of actively trying to gather illegitimate items. He just, they were carryovers from the time when he was legitimate. She notes that as of now, the government has not brought any additional evidence or charges against her client, which is true. This is the critique that we've been making here for three or four days now, saying that, look, they're saying there's a ton here, but the only charge is this false impersonation charge. And they're talking a lot about guns and dangerousness but there are not any gun charges. They have not filed any firearms related charges yet, she says, which is a right argument. Harvey says that she, that he was told her client admitted to deleting some social media posts. So the judge is saying, well, what about this deletion of evidence? If he's not guilty and he thinks he was law abiding and he was in compliance with all the regulations, why is he just flushing evidence down the toilet? says that's this is the crux of the government's claim that Tazzy will obstruct justice and that therefore should be detained. Defense lawyer says Peterson says this is completely overblown. Apparently deleted a few things because he was trying to avoid the embarrassment of people commenting over the photos. You know, he knows he's in trouble. He's trying to clean up his social media presence like everybody does. He also apparently had his phone set on auto delete every 30 days. So anything removed from his phone was not intentional. Oh, that's pretty interesting. One of the items that Tazi deleted were videos of him at a shooting range, Peterson tells the judge. So it sounds like maybe he knew that he was a prohibited possessor. Why would he want that video deleted? Either it shows that he's you know, a firearm enthusiast who likes to go shooting, or it shows that he knew that he shouldn't have been in possession of a firearm and he didn't want anybody to see him doing that. This continues. Peterson says Tazzy can live with his father. We're talking about the high intensity, super, high intensity supervision probation. Father wants to act as the custodian. Harvey wants to speak to the father, dialed into the hearing. So the judge says, oh, your dad can take custody of you? Get him on the phone. Masood Tahazardeh is sworn in. Tazzy's father, age 66, lives in Virginia, been there since 2003, moved from Kansas City, works a granite and marble company in Virginia. He calls in says, I lived there with my wife. We ran out the basement to someone else. Wife's is Tazzy's stepmom. She works for Bank of America. Says, if the judge will be kind enough, I'll quit my job. I'll stay home. I'll do whatever it takes. Father sounds emotional. Peterson also adds that if they could arrange another family member to be home during the day, if Tazzy is sent home, his father also tells the judge he can request permission to work from home. So we're going to do everything we can to be there. Just release him to our custody. Now, judge says, all right. I need to know this. Does Tazzy have a job? Prosec uh, defense attorney says, I have no representations to make at this point. 
Peterson says, but if there, if he were to be sent home, it would not be an economic hardship. If he were to be sent home to home confinement, it would not be an economic hardship. So she's making the argument, let him home. Whatever happens, dad can retire, quit his job. Mom can be there. It's not going to cause any consequences for the family. In other words, if the judge releases Tazzy onto the family, is it going to wreck the family? She says, no, they're going to be okay. Father's on the line. We want all of this to happen. Judge, just please let it move forward. So that's the hearing as it relates to Tazzy. And so they're making the argument that he should be released. And not a lot there sort of going back towards Ali, but his attorney is up now. We got Gregory Smith, hater Ali and Gregory Smith down here at the bottom. We can see their photos. Hater, his lawyer, Smith, is thanking the judge for really probing and taking the time before the ruling. And that is 100% true. You know, these things are normally... 20 minutes. This has been like three or four days now. Smith says, I don't have much to add, Judge. I submitted my briefs. They're good. They're 17 pages. We did a whole video on that. If you missed that, check that one out. He adds, he says, I've been doing this a long time. It's true. There have been many times in my career where I've seen the government get out ahead of itself. He says, this is such a case. Smith says, it's utterly false and preposterous to suggest that my client is somehow Pakistani intelligence. He says his client is indigent. If he was a Pakistani spy, he'd have money. He'd be funded by a foreign intelligence agency. And he doesn't. He's indigent. I've been appointed to represent him. That doesn't sound like Pakistani intelligence is his argument. He says Ali is forever scarred for the rest of his life. He says the media has drummed everything up into a frenzy. These allegations will ruin the rest of his life, says Smith. He also says... He's noting it's possible, Judge, that Ali won't even get prison time for this based on the guidelines. No prior criminal record. His DV charge was dismissed, as we talked about. Judge is now asking if Smith wishes to give more clarification on Ali's citizenship status. Smith says, I think he's a citizen. Harvey now asks where Ali would stay if he's released. Smith says his family would offer to help and could be made available to the chalk to the judge if need be. Smith says that Ali would move back into his parents' home if necessary. Whatever it takes, Judge, he'll go home. Smith says his client, Ali, and his wife have four kids. There's just no way Ali would leave. Any allegation like that would border on ridiculous. And we covered this in the hater Ali motion that was drafted by Gregory Smith in support of Ali's release. We had three or uh, four or five different letters from his family, brother, older brother, younger brother, mom, and dad, I believe. All submitted letters, all saying he's got four kids. Wife submitted a letter. That was the fifth one saying that she needs him home. And that when this domestic violence situation started up, she sort of took the blame for that. And those charges were ultimately dismissed. Prosecutor chimes in here and he says, investigators have since interviewed other people. We talked to a former Marine, Tazzy and Ali apparently recruited to try to get them to work for them. Prosecutor says Tazzy was in possession of an assault rifle. Tazzy later lied to law enforcement and said he was a firearm that he had rented. Prosecutor says another witness has said that Ali claimed to work as a federal law enforcement agent with the Justice Department and he flashed some sort of a badge suggesting he worked for the DOJ. We have another witness now and we're going to see what that looks like. This witness also apparently laid eyes on some of the firearms. Prosecutor admits none of them actually saw Ali in possession of any of the guns. Prosecutor says it makes no sense firearms were found in Ali's apartment since he had small kids. He says it makes sense the firearms were stored in other apartments. 
And in Ali's motion, Mr. Smith, the defense lawyer, was making that argument saying, you know, they and he went through apartment by apartment. He went through uh, 708 and 607 and all of the five different apartments that these guys apparently had. And he said, weird. All of the problems were found in the other apartments, not in Ali's prosecutors responding, saying, well, yeah, they've got four kids at home, a five year old, a four year old, a one year old, and I think a three month year old. Prosecutor insists this was all joint conduct. They were vouching for each other. The whole thing, this, this, the thing that they're doing now, oh, we don't know what the other person was doing. That's all part of the plan, right? They were all vouching for each other as all of this was moving forward. Harvey, judge, does seem a little bit skeptical of the claim, given the fact that Ali was never actually spotted with the guns. So saying, yeah, you know, and I'm not sure if I buy that storing the guns in other locations since nobody even actually saw him with the guns. Sarah continues, says, Harvey, the judge, asks if the Department of Justice has evidence that Tassie knew, knew that he was prohibited from possessing a firearm. Prosecutor says, we don't need to prove that to meet our burden, judge. To actually know that he shouldn't have had one. We don't need to meet that standard. Tassie was never an armed special police officer, prosecutor adds. Like, he never had permission to do it. This is the equivalent of a watchman checking windows and doors. Didn't need any of those firearms. Judge says, yeah, but you know, there was a case that cited on whether it's required to show the person had knowledge that she was legally prohibited. Like you need to show that like they actually knew it. Prosecutor says Tazzy was rejected from a concealed carry permit. That's a red flag right there. So he should have known judge. And he was also denied a concealed carry permit too. Harvey says, yeah, yeah, hold on a minute there. Ali's not considered a prohibited person and no witnesses saw him carrying a concealed carry. Judge is sort of transitioning from Tazzy over to Ali. Harvey, the judge, then asks for evidence. All right, now, is there a danger here? What is the future harm here? That if we let them out, that they're going to do harm? He asks, is there a risk they're going to try out and go out and, and start impersonating police again? Prosecutor says, judge, this is an elaborate and deceptive crime. It's possible they could go out and do it again. Judge says, well, what happens if I put them under house arrest? Can they do that again then? Harvey asks the judge, if I were to put both of these gentlemen under house arrest, what's the realistic likelihood that they could go out and impersonate another police officer while this case is pending? And the judge is being a little bit judgy here, isn't he? Yeah. Are they going to do that again, Mr. Pro? Are you really going to admit that they're going to do that? prosecutors, you know, I don't know what he said here. I don't think we have that written. Harvey notes that they could each be placed on house arrest, be subject to GPS monitoring and a third party custodian. Prosecutor suggests that they could cut off the monitor and Harvey notes. Yeah, that's true, but we'll find that out pretty quickly. You know, if they just slice off that ankle monitor, oh, well, ankle monitor is off. You know, unless these guys are on a, you know, a, a rocket to Pakistan, right? probably can get down to them pretty quickly. Presumably here we see judge still not answer, not satisfied with the answers, no answers. He's going to continue it again. Recall the case at 4 a.m. tomorrow, hopefully have a ruling by the end of the day. And Miss Lynch is communicating uh, here. This is her writing says, I will say it. It is rare that I have seen detention hearings drag out this much and present so many challenges. The government may have an uphill battle proving that detention versus home confinement is the only solution to their concerns. Stay tuned. Back at it tomorrow. So please, please go follow her at Sarah N. Lynch on Twitter. 
And she's right about that. There are a lot of challenges here. The government is sort of feels like they're grasping at straws a little bit to try to convince this judge to keep these guys in custody. Sounds like they've got a lot more stuff out there. Many more witnesses are now appearing to come forward. We saw this supplement be filed right after the hearing ended today. 411, two pages coming in, the government's response to the court's April 11th oral order. In response, they write, to the court's oral order, here is the following information you asked for, Judge. Witness number six, who I think is a new witness, I think in the original complaint we had only five witnesses. I could be wrong about that. But this is a former United States Marine. This person came forward and stated that Hader Ali represented himself to be a federal agent. And remember, in the motion from Gregory Smith that was filed on behalf of Hader Ali, suggesting that he be released from detention, said that they, they, part of the argument that Smith was proffering forward was nobody had specifics on Ali saying that this was all being sort of uh, mashed together between Tazzy and Ali saying that Tazzy was really responsible for it, but you can't lump them in together. If you're going to say Ali did something, say he did something and separate him out, separate his conduct out differently. Here, they say witness number six is now available. Witness number six is pointing to Ali, hater Ali, and saying, you did that. Here, they write that he proffered himself to be an employee of the federal government. Arian Tazzy represented himself to be an HSI agent. So Ali, federal agent, Tazzy, HSI. Witness six also stated, this is the U.S. Marine, that Tazzy and Ali were both involved in the recruitment process. Witness six stated Ali accompanied him to MPD to be fingerprinted. Witness six also stated while at an apartment where they reside, he observed a Glock 19 firearm and Sig Sauer in the presence of Taser and of Tazzy and Ali. In addition, witness six said there was an M4 variant, illegal firearms equipment on multiple occasions in Tazzy's apartment, which witness six also saw Tazian possession of the AR pistol. So now we have a witness identifying these people with illegal firearms equipment. So the prosecution or the defense is saying nobody's been able to pinpoint it. The prosecution goes out, finds witness number six, witness six pinpoints it. Witness number seven now comes in and says, witness seven says, Ali claimed to work as a federal law enforcement officer of the DOJ. Boom singling him out. Ali produced at least two pieces of ID that he used to support these claims, including what appeared to be a building access badge, a badge that may have identified himself as a DOJ employee. Witness seven said one night, Ali introduced witness seven to friends of Tazi and individual A, whom Ali represented to be a United States Secret Service agent. Witness seven said that Tazi claimed to work for a special law enforcement unit investigating federal crimes, was affiliated with DHS, had prior military experience. In furtherance of these claims, witness seven said that Tazi produced ID cards, including military ID, a badge displaying law enforcement markings, and a card that displayed a DHS identifier. During this encounter, witness seven observed at least two handguns, one holstered on Tazi's waist, and a second on a mantle. So pretty, pretty sophisticated uh you know, extensive ID cards and badges and, you know, the idea that, you know, they, they were just sort of accidentally communicating this scheme because they were embarrassed, right? This, this appears to be active, intentional development of paraphernalia, right? Fake 
government paraphernalia used to continue this scheme forward. And it's a wild case. Now, the judge is going to issue a ruling, hopefully, by the close of the day tomorrow. We'll continue to follow it along. I hope you join us on that journey. Don't forget to subscribe before you get out of here. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one.